Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Bench Units. My name is Mark. I'm joined, as always, by James. And we are joined, not as always, by a guest. Um, anyone who has sent our question, sent us questions in on our Instagram will know we're joined by probably the best Dutch player in the world right now, outside of maybe Ari Twigs. <laughs> um, possibly the best Dutch player ever who plays as a 2.5, not a 3.0, as some incorrect podcast host once said, <laughs> plays a 2.5 for Hanover United and is currently a triple crown champion with the Dutch women's team being European world and Paralympic champion. So joining us from quarantine in Hanover, how's it going, Mariska Bayer? Oh, you know, quarantine life is not awesome, <laughs> so... I've seen better days, but it's a good thing. I'm not in lockdown quarantine, so I'm allowed to go outside. I'm not contagious and I'm in the Netherlands. So I just have my own apartment for myself right now. Oh, cool. So you're joining us from the Netherlands then? Because I didn't know if you'd made the, made the trip back to Germany. No, it's like three and a half hour car ride driving myself to Hanover and Currently, after max one hour, I already have to take a nap in the car. So it's right, probably okay. not the best idea. Okay, cool. Well, we'll keep this episode to less than an hour then because <laughs> we really don't want you falling asleep. As uh, you considered... when, when I just tuned out, you, you just noticed, so it's okay. <laughs> have you considered a nap break in the middle of our episodes, Mark? Because we could be on to something there. If people well, listen to this enough that we had ads to play, we could put them in there and just go for a nap. Well, or we could do the thing we like thought about. Time. <laughs> Imagine doing the thing that we thought about at one point where we were just going to advertise for things that weren't sponsoring us to see if we could reverse engineer it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let's not get down that rabbit hole because I feel like if our episodes get too long, most of our listeners probably take a nap midway through listening. So we probably don't want to encourage that kind of thing. Um, anyway, Mariska, I listed off a load of rubbish I'd made up to intro you there. Very quick thing to get us started. How would you feel potentially down the line somewhere about being the first ever bench unit sponsored athlete? Because as far as we can tell, you wear orange in basically every team or club you ever play for. And orange is kind of our thing. I mean, orange is the best color. So it kind of depends on what you guys can give me and I can give to you. It's kind of working both ways. Thank you for giving us a bit of your time. We're very grateful for that as a start. Yeah. Talk. I mean, that's the pro of, you know, not able to practice. I got a lot of downtime. So. Yeah. See, seeing as we don't make any money from this podcast, how about in return for some of your time, you pay some of our hosting costs to keep. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you some negative um, equity. I think the funniest yeah, it sounds thing... like a great life deal. Just so <laughs> I think just to like take people behind the curtain, it was very funny to message you, uh, Mariska, and be like, "Hey, how's it going? We'd love to have you on the podcast. Could you tell us it when you're free over the next while?" And you were like, "I can't do anything at the minute because of long COVID. So, like, I'm just free all the time." And then you very nearly blew us off. <laughs> I was like, well, oh, okay. I was able to, you know, start my physio rehab today. And oh, they cool. said the appointment with us here at like 5.35. So I was like, oh, shit, I got the recording. Um, <laughs> whoops. Uh, <laughs> and then the, and the physio called me like an hour later, like, okay, we have to reschedule. There's something here going on here. I'll see you Friday. I'm like, okay. Because I, <laughs> I literally woken up, seen that message, Mark, and then had your second message back and was like, okay, no, we're fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. Never mind what I just said. But yeah, going on from that, this is obviously, it, we've just mentioned it, you're experiencing long COVID, which would explain your absence from the Hanover United team. Would yes. you like to tell us a little bit about how you're doing and how that's affected you? Just for the listeners, we got a question from Amy Conroy about how that is. Well, the experience sucks. That's like all I can say. The first two weeks were the hardest with like fever, not able to move from the bed to the couch. And that was just horrendous. Um, uh, old, year, old Year's Day, so the last day of the year, I was actually clear to go outside. Woo. Uh, I was tested two days after each other negative, two times 
and they said, okay, you can go outside. So I actually spent New Year's Eve with my neighbors, which oh, are cool. lovely people, uh, because my family is like two and a half hours away from my house. So I'm not able to go there and I cannot take my parents that are also ill yeah. here. So I was like, okay, what I'm going to do. I already spent two weeks by myself and I'm not a quarantine person. That's what I figured out. Um, currently... I'm still experiencing fatigue, so I'm very tired. When I strain myself or even like clean one room, I started coughing and just have to take a nap almost midway. I never experienced this in my life. So people that say it's just a flu, it's really <laughs> horrendous. Like I never experienced something like this. Oh, there you go. Like I think one of the things that people people said in the beginning was like, ah, "I'm young, I'm fit, I'll be fine." Yeah. There you go. You I'm have double it. vaccinated, and yeah, you have a double I mean, vaccine. I have dead asthma, so that kind of not helps. But I cough for over a month, like ah, yeah. every ten minutes, I had a coughing fit or something. Jeez. So but yeah, just to to wind back a little bit because we, I think, in our first episode we recorded uh, since the new year we kind of talked about how the COVID cases at the European championships had gotten out of hands. Is, is that when, is that when you originally got COVID or did you get it? I would say so because at Monday evening, uh, I tested negative actually. And that's the day we landed back at Schiphol. So from the airport, we did a self-test in the car and then I got a PCR test that evening and that was negative. But Wednesday I started to have like weird muscle pain and just sneezing all the time. So I was like, okay, don't trust this. And that's when my self-test was positive and I got to get a PCR test afterwards, which also is positive. So I mean, I didn't do anything for those two days. Well, one and a half day, except being at home. Yeah. Yeah. So you realistically you didn't catch it in that span of time so it must have been a, a lingering kind of positive. but I guess that yeah. maybe the upside of that is you actually did manage to get home from the Europeans yeah, without stuck in Spain yeah exactly yeah. that, that was the big thing that I think that might have gone into decisions made I don't know for sure but that looks like if you do the maths that kind of yeah th- that was about two weeks before Christmas Eve that mm-hmm. the tournament kind of fell apart in terms of players making the completely yeah. reasonable decision to be like, mm, I don't want to get COVID and I certainly don't want to get stuck here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, uh, it was just like really. I was very happy that nobody else on the team caught it. Also the people that were sitting next to me in the plane. So yeah, sure. Yeah, that's good. And I think, so sorry, I kind of half misquoted the question from Amy, Amy Conroy was about your long COVID experience and the question was specifically, how did it change your daily and training routines? I don't well, know. Well, there's no training. So <laughs> yesterday I tried to do the team warm up on Monday at Papendal with the national team. And I went like snail mode. So super slow, not like really being what I normally do. just ran my chair and just, I see wherever I end up. Yeah. I mean, true. And after I think 15 minutes, I just, was done like I started coughing and I went home took a nice hot bath to like steam out my lungs and took a nap from 15 minutes of warm-up so gosh wow um so I guess that this we may well be getting ahead of ourselves but do you have any idea where this leaves you for kind of the rest of the year um I have no bloody clue like I am very happy that at least worlds at the end of the year yeah but, you know, with Hanover United, we are planning to play EuroLeague. And I would love to be there. And plus, they need me as a 2-5. Yeah, yes. And, yeah, it just breaks my heart. Like, last year, I didn't play because I was terrified of COVID, which now I reasonably can say that I did not fear it incorrectly. Yep. Yeah. But now it just sucks not able to play and not be the one that made a decision. Like, yeah, sure. I'm forced to not play. I think yeah. there's something really difficult about that where you took such a big decision to avoid COVID for so long and obviously, unfortunately, just ended up with it anyway, which is yeah. like, that's, that makes it so much tougher, I would imagine. Yeah, it's mentally tough, but... Sure. To um, put a little, I guess, 
silver lining on this as we as we transition to the rest of the episode. Are you at least glad that it was the GB women who forfeited the European finals before you guys had to? Because you never know, they might have beaten you guys this time. I was not. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. For me, it just kind of sucks not able to play when you were going to blew them out. Yeah. But at yeah. least you guys had the thing of like having played them and beaten them yeah. by so many. Like, I can... think the game we lost, we won the least was by like 28 or something. Yeah. Something like that. So, yeah, I think, I think anyone, I'm not worried at all. <laughs> anyone who would be arguing that you guys might not have won the final had it taken place would have a very tough argument to make. So, I mean, yep. Yeah, it, it, it's a valid European Championship as far as we concern, as far yeah. as we're concerned. We're not going to put an asterisk next to that one. No, man, no, 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 not unlike the Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, shall we? Um, We'll shift on a little bit. So we shift all the way back. Will we? Never mind all. Shift back. We tend to ask everybody who comes on first time if you'll give us a little bit of your peek into your origin story of how you got started playing wheelchair basketball. Sure. Um, I actually started out playing badminton, uh, able bodied with just my prosthetic before I had my other leg issues. I wasn't really good with like the lateral movements with my prosthetics. So I was really, really lucky that the same club also had wheelchair badminton. I was like, I see people in wheelchairs. I can do that. I want to try it. So I just walked up to them. Like, I want to play this and got hopped into a chair. Um, that's where I pretty much learned my chair skills, which I still use today. Um, but there was something missing. I was really good already. Uh, I could play tournaments. I would think was like, 9 10 I played with adults so I had potential it, but there was something to cut, missing still. to cut you off very quickly have you ever tried a sport that you haven't been the best at in a very short period of time <laughs> um is it really bad to say no <laughs> I imagine you stop trying other sports when you get to like the absolute pinnacle of one but I don't know I yeah. know uh, I've seen I people who, I've seen especially Paralympic athletes who've done like two or three Paralympic cycles in one sport and then just be like yeah see you later yeah. I mean, I kind of want to try out different sports at some point, but for now, basketball is too much fun. Fair enough. Uh, but luckily, also one of my teammates with wheelchair badminton also played basketball. And he was like, well, 10 minutes away from here, there's a wheelchair basketball club. I was like, uh, should I switch? It's a team sport. It's so different than what I'm doing now. And I was like, nah, come on, let's go. And the first time I entered that gym, I just heard like the ball bouncing on the floor ground and the frames clashing to each other and the smell of burned rubber because of all the breaking I was like holy damn this is amazing <laughs> uh, the first time I shot the ball I could not even reach the net <laughs> yeah I think we've all been there haven't we and I was like I want to get better so I can hit the rim and then I want to get better to make the basket and I think I just never stopped doing that I just fell in love the first time yeah, when you said there was something missing coming from a sport like badminton over to wheelchair basketball, was it the team element or was it the chair contact? Because I very much thought it was the team element. I mean, the first then... time I made a collision, that that was awesome. So <laughs> I love that you're just you're just here for contact sports. Whether I'm just here for or... the. the non-contact in contact sports yeah and, and, I, and I was gonna just get into this whole thing about the fact that off air we spoke about the fact that one of the great privileges in this sport is that you're just kind of stuck in a group of people with maybe like a 10 15 year age gap that yeah. you maybe wouldn't be friends with otherwise but you get this best forced friends bump into people <laughs> yeah sorry tell it tell us about the best forced friends thing that you said just off air that maybe yeah so i uh, I have my roommate with the national team, Ilsa, Ilsa Arts. She's an amazing player. Like She's definitely the tactician of her group. And I think it was during Tokyo we were actually talking about like how you get friendships. And I was like, yeah, we definitely BFFs. And she made a remark like, yeah, we're best for, for friends. <laughs> because she just kind of forced into a situation and somehow ended up being best friends. So That's basically, here we are. Basically BFF. how the game started, right? Yeah, yep. more or less. <laughs> I actually I don't really know. Yeah. 
and not only with the national team, of course, but also with club teams and making friends wherever you live. Yeah, sure. We've um, we've actually got a question sent in that we'll get to a, a little bit later. That's I think it kind of embodies that what we just mentioned there with making friends despite the the age gap and the kind of people coming from different backgrounds. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that soon. But in the meantime, so we've kind of established you've you feel like you've found your your niche when you found basketball uh, yep. transferring over from badminton. What was kind of the the pathway for you going from that first session you tried out to say your first experience with the Dutch women's team and obviously we know the Dutch women's team is kind of the the best program in the world currently mm-hmm. but what was the the different state of that then as opposed to how advanced it is now well when I first started out I was just like playing the lowest level we have in the Netherlands like the lowest of the low but uh, I played together with 70-year-olds, for example. <laughs> like I was there as an 11-year-old kid, and there was this guy that was in his end 60s, beginning 70s, and we played together wheelchair basketball. Who can you imagine? <laughs> That's what uh, Ari plays like now. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also lucky with the wheelchair basketball club that I had. We had four different teams in a different league in the Netherlands, so I could kind of naturally grow. Sure. Uh, to the next level, like training a little bit more. I just started out, I think, once a week at first. And I was like, oh, I like this. And then I was invited to like the third team. And then I grew to the second team. I, I think I started out in 2002 officially as uh, like registered club player. And in 2006 or seven was the first time with uh, U22. Right. Uh, we went to Stoke Mandeville, the Holy Grail. I'm what sorry. Place. The start of wheelchair basketball. And I was like, okay, this is cool. My first training camp was there. Um, and in the year of 2007, was the road to Beijing. Sure. And there was an open selection training. So all the girls and women were invited to Papendal to try out for the national team. Like, okay, let's do this. Um, and the club actually arranged a fan so all the women of the region I was living in just hopped into the bus all the chairs in the back and let's go have like two days of practice and let's see who ends up Uh, I think they selected there 16 people 16 or 20 and I was super surprised that I made a cut like I was super young I was 14 or 15 back then and I made the first cut I was like this is amazing I on my way to Beijing and like practice with this squad of the Netherlands. Sure. Uh, that year I started training a lot more. Uh, national team was two times a week, Tuesdays and Sundays, which was hard to combine with school because I had school on Tuesday and yeah. practice was two and a half hour drive plus, tra- plus traffic. So yeah. <laughs> that bloody sucked. Um. But yeah, my school was really helpful. I could skip school. Uh, they made different arrangements for me so I could do labs at different times. Or So I was really lucky there. Um, but that year I was not selected for Beijing, but I was at 13, 14, so I was reserved. Uh, I actually read back an article from back then from the high school newspaper. <laughs> and I told them like, look, in London 2012, I'm going to be at the games. Like, this is not going to happen anymore. But not knowingly that in 2012, I was not only playing at the games, but I was a starting five at the games. So in four years, I tried my best to evolve myself to say, and just stand there with the national team and just thinking about that path and going full-time practice and graduating high school, finding university was, yeah, exciting. So that that must have been a really a really intense four years, and this is, yeah, I, I guess something we we'll come back to as we as we talk through things. But one thing that I think is interesting is what you said about the national team training effectively being twice a week. Um, mm-hmm. back, so then, eh? back then, <laughs> yeah, back, back then, you're um, cut it down to one now. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need the practice time at this point. Um, so you're effectively doing a lot of your kind of individual 
improvement and you know working on stuff at club level and then trying to take it forward to the national team so yeah, definitely. were you playing in the Netherlands in those four-year span yeah. is that when you because you will have gone to Germany I think post London or post Rio is that yeah right? I, I actually went to Germany after Rio right yeah okay cool yeah so the club level uh really helped out back that's like the same rules in Germany and every league, like you got women's bonus. So I was actually able to play quite a bit. And the year before London, 2012, I actually played for a club that had two teams in the highest league in the Netherlands. Right. And uh, at home games, I could play for both teams. So that gave me two games and one day. So what's better practice than <laughs> play two basketball games? It was pretty much, I play one game. I think the first one is, was like 12 or something. And then the second one was at two. So it was like, okay, snacking between games. And then after the second game, uh, the person behind the bar already knew I was coming and he would have like food ready for me. So I could just hammer it down. My that, that's a real home advantage there, knowing the guy in the cafe. Oh, you always make friends with the guys in the cafe. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. They will hook you up. That's the move. Was <laughs> there, between not making the team, um, in 2008 and then making the team four years later, did you make any big changes or was it just a byproduct of growing up and sort of developing further? Obviously, well, a growing out of up. high school as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I grew up, of course, but I also moved to Arnhem where the National Olympic Training Center is. And I went full-time at 2012. Um, so after World Championships is 20, uh, 2010. Oh, that's, I said that wrong. I went full-time in 2010. After Worlds in 2010 in Birmingham, yeah. I think. Yes. You've, yes. you've visited some terrible places in the UK. Yeah. If you're, if you're, if you're <laughs> only impression nice. of, if your only impression of England is Birmingham and Stoke Mandeville, can I just say. I also went to Exeter two years ago. Oh, well, slightly better, yeah. slightly better. But also, I would just like to say, as an Irishman, that is a true, true reflection of England and how bad it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think training full time starting 2010 definitely improved my game a lot. Like being trained by Gert Jan and Irene yeah. on a daily basis. And back then, it was mainly guys that were at the daily program, just gave me such an advantage compared to other people that not have that chance to do sure nice okay cool um well we've got so many questions in this time that we're going to throw a couple of them kind of in the flow of the conversation but this is from your teammate Yitzka, who <laughs> has asked who did you look up to when you started playing basketball uh when i first started the national team there was this powerful woman Elsbeth van Oostrum, the old number 15. Right. Well, just my chance that I also wearing 15. And I was like, she is amazing. Like, she can play defense. She can shoot from everywhere. I was like, I want to be that person. Like, I want to be strong. I want to be flexible. Let's do this. Um, works. Yeah, that was the person I kind of looked up to when I started out with the national team. Cool. And has that, has that changed over... Over time, is there anybody you look at now, be it women's game currently in the past or men's game? Is there anyone you look at now and you think, I maybe not look up to because you're very much at the top of your field, but do you look at anyone and think, I could incorporate some of what they do into my game? Yeah, I think it's just like little bits of players yeah. because right now I develop my own style. Mm -hmm. and I don't want what. I don't want to really change my game, but I do want to improve. Like, uh, for example, the calmness of uh, Tommy Böhme is amazing. Like the threat he just has yeah. by his body language. I was like, I'm trying to kind of incorporate that, but just like little bits and pieces of other players. If you need a reference for calmness, can I recommend you Abdi Jama? Oh yeah, he is ice cold. Holy. <laughs> oh, you'd also need to change your seating position so it looked like you're in a recliner or something. So maybe 
I swear there's a lever on that guy's basketball chair at some point that he can just kind of it's, it's I mean me. right now I'm already on a couch so it's kind of more like in a chill position I'm gonna say just with a with a pot full of tea <laughs> I mean it's slowly getting empty so I might all right we can have a break soon. it's fine also you mentioning Abdi's just reminded me that he we're playing Malaga this weekend and I was looking at the stats and I was like ah oh, Abdi hasn't had a big game in a while oh no oh no <laughs> Yeah, he 28 points. Yeah. Yeah. 28 points on like six shots somehow. No. <laughs> Mind you, you guys shut Macek down the other weekend. So maybe that's your defensive thing is you just find the low who shoots and take them away and see what the rest of the team does. Different than every other yeah. team's game plan. Yes. Um, <laughs> so going back to where we're at, Mariska, you obviously made the London team and like you say there was a massive jump in that four years from yep. not making the 12 to then being in the starting five but it's really it's kind of post London that the the Netherlands kind of took the dominance of the women's game so what do you think what were the building blocks either that you experienced in your first Paralympics or that kind of galvanized the team towards taking control of the world the way they have in the years after London? Well, I think that process actually started the year before London. That was the year that Gaita and Irene both became, got nominated as coaches for the national team. And after London, most of the group that we have started to train daily at Papendal, or at least a couple of times a week. Well, yeah, when you train together, you get better together. And the year before Rio was actually, yeah, is that correct? Yeah, the year before Rio, uh, we were actually, uh, how do you say that, expected to be there every day. So we trained together two times a day, two hours with the whole squad, Monday till Friday. Yeah. So that that's so, effect, that's effectively that's the same <laughs> same um, routine that most professional clubs would run, right? That's yeah. similar. Well, to I that. mean, we are getting paid to train, so. We train. <laughs> it's professional. Yeah, it's a job. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like... So the, the secret is to, to catch anybody up on what was just said, the secret is if you want to get better at something, make it your job. <laughs> get get yeah. paid enough to do it that you don't have to do yeah. anything else on the side. The yeah. secret is Pretty the secret is the programs adequately support your athletes to be able to go full time and they will flourish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's all about money, pretty much. As, <laughs> As usual. Yeah. Like everything yeah yeah we will not get too too far down this because i think otherwise it'll just turn into a conversation of being like hey they could pay us more if they wanted to but um i'm just very lucky with our national federation <laughs> that's yeah that's you, guys, you guys have got it so well and yeah. i guess this the results obviously come from the process but do you do you still see the program that the Dutch women have as being ahead of the game compared to a lot of other women's teams? Or do you think there are national teams who are catching you up on that front? I mean, I think we do have a lead. Um, but as you could see at the Paralympics, like China is doing great as well. They made huge step forwards. Um, I think GB also have has a good program. They just were not lucky with how games went as well i mean they showed at euros they can play really well i i think if they did the same at the paralympics it would be way different rankings yeah but yeah with other teams it's just hard to tell because a i didn't see them since the pandemic started yeah um uh, i think the flexibility that our program has like training during quarantine and lockdowns uh and they were able to set up our individual training schedules so we can train by ourselves. Oh, I wow. think that, yeah, that was really amazing. Like we were accommodating, accommodated by everyone in the, as by the trainers. Yeah, that that sounds like a huge advantage because I know most, for example, just looking at like the GB side of things, I know the women only did basically individual sessions up until like maybe a couple of months before the Paralympics. And obviously yeah. most of the guys are out getting solid training time with their with their clubs. But 
yeah, you guys effectively, as soon as the lockdown kicked in, you more or less all locked down together, right? <laughs> and just... Did, I mean, uh, the first lockdown here that happened from March till June, we had to train by ourselves. Yeah. But we had such a great program. Like during lockdown, I got crazy endurance and my power just, I got so much stronger over lockdown because I was just focusing on getting my endurance up, just biking, just do uh, lifting or like body weight training all day, every day. Like the um the montage from like Rocky or something. Well, pretty much. Like I did physical tests uh, where we were able to go to, well, we had like testing days and wow. I just blew all my PRs out of the water. Really? I got so crazy strong. Okay. So, that's, that's such an advantage comparatively as well, considering there were a lot of people who were like, unable to train so we're in theory getting worse the whole time like knowing yeah, but, had the framework in place to keep improving in there is massive but like all my strength training i did in my apartment and on my balcony so oh, sure. it's not like i went i was not allowed to go to papendal for the first two and a half months so yeah, and still wow. getting stronger was just, just showing like how much energy we put into ourselves to improve still yeah yeah, yeah. It's also mindset and the capabilities to actually do it. Yeah, definitely. So the secrets we've uncovered so far are get paid enough to make it your job and make the most of the time where you're not allowed to leave your house. I guess it yeah. is the blueprint for this. So, so very happy currently that I'm not on six weeks not practicing. So <laughs> yeah, I think I think you've earned it, right? <laughs> I want to get better. Yeah. <laughs> um so just to, I guess, dot backwards a little bit, we talked about the kind of rise of the Dutch um, situation and getting better with this program you've got. But you've also, after having the kind of centralized training program, you made the jump to go and play in Germany. Yeah. Um, so it's a bit, it's an interesting one because I think the Dutch men particularly and a couple of the women are kind of dotted all over Europe because there isn't much of a league in the Netherlands from what I've been um no. what I've been told so I mean there's a league it's just not yeah high level no. basketball so, similar to why all to why all the British guys leave the UK but 99% of them end up in Spain but um yeah so all the Dutch are a bit kind of spread out I mean Mendel being in France, Aries in Spain, yourself, Yitzke, and a couple of others in Germany. Uh, so what was the what was the deciding factor for you to pick Hanover when you made the jump there? Well, I first started out with Trier. Um, uh, I was just interested. Like, I liked how they play. Uh, Derek is a major name in basketball. Yeah. And I was like, I can learn a lot there. So I played there for two years. I would say. And I think my game improved there a lot as well. A, because you train with physical guys, they're faster, they're stronger than myself. So I just have to improve myself as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I really missed some flexibility in how I, I was playing yeah. or was able to play in the in that current lineups. And I was in contact with Hanover. And they, that's like the same drive for me from where I live. So I was like, still three and a half hours. That's not too bad. Right. We're going to try it out. And um, I drove there and I think I practiced for two and a half days there. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's a young squad. We can grow together. There's a lot of potential. They were, when I came there, like the lower segment of the league. And yeah, we just rose as a team and now we're solid third. So that's really amazing awesome um so this feeds into a question we had from mendel who has asked how would you describe the difference in your role playing in the mixed league versus when you play internationally in the women's competition well in the with the national team it's just easy like nobody can stop me <laughs> that's the best possible answer you could have that is the sound bite uh. So that's easy. Like I can shoot over almost everyone. And yeah, I'm not very worried about that. In the men's league, I actually have to use my brain. <laughs> like I have to I have to be quicker or quicker thinking than the person that's defending me or that's attacking me. So I l- 
I think I learned my chair positioning uh, the best in the German league. Right. Okay. Like the timing with the following heels or actually not following the seals, but actually stopping my chair. So I have a wide open shot instead of going to into a forest for a hard layup. <laughs> yeah. It must have been in your kind of first um, experience playing in the mixed leagues, especially going from the Netherlands to Germany, where it's obviously a massive increase in um, in standard. You must have had what was your adjustment period like when you kind of realized that you had to make that change to your game? I think pretty quick. Yeah. Did you have like a light bulb moment where you just got like blocked on a shot that you wouldn't normally get checked on in the women's game to be like, Oh no. (laughs) It's already four years ago. So (laughs) I've almost. (laughs) The, um, the one. I still block other people sometimes. So that's, you know, yeah. Yeah, Speak up to them. (laughs) Yeah. The, um, the one I always remember is speaking to Ben Fox after he joined Albacete and they Lee had obviously been there for a long time and then they brought Alejandro Sazuela in as well. And I remember speaking to Ben when he'd been practicing there for a few weeks and he was like, I haven't had a shot in the in the key for like the, la- the entire time I've been here. He's like, I cannot catch the ball and get a shot up with these guys around. Yeah, it's different, but a good kind of different. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I can stop a four-five from like the Bulls or Landale or whatever other team, I'm like, I can stop everyone. So yeah, that's that's <laughs> the thing. Do you have a moment when you go back into the women's game that you're like, well, apart from the fact that the ball's a bit smaller, like this is fine. I'm like, yeah. Well, I do have to tune down my chair contact oh, when yeah? I go back get, to the women's because do you get, I get, do you get a different whistle in the men and the women's. Yeah, game? yeah, definitely. I mean, Aiden men's game is more physical anyways. You hear a lot of the metal on metal compared to a, yeah. during a women's game. So I have to be a little bit more careful. Sure. Yeah. But it's got to keep know. being a challenge for you somehow because based on the little soundbite you gave us a minute ago, it sounds like the women's game is getting too easy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the plan. <laughs> Improve my own game so still nobody can stop me. Oh. Yeah, um, that is that is why you practice, I guess, so that it's easier on no. a Saturday. Except for now. <laughs> oh, maybe- I mean, I'm just making the playing field a little bit fair right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's what COVID was for. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Well, no, like that. you say, it might it might be fair right now, but there isn't going to be an international tournament until November. So. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, you've ramped it back up by then. Um, oh, so. I'll, um, I know James wanted to ask a little bit about your Tokyo experience because he was obviously first time Paralympian this time out. So I'll hand over to James for this one. Yeah. So I, in, well, we both in sort of preparation for this, listened to a previous podcast uh, that you were on with RGK. Uh, go listen to them, I guess, if you want. Um, don't you dare turn this off and listen to RGK. <laughs> Well, listen, listen to this one again so it counts as two listens <laughs> um, but yeah so obviously you spoke about your experience there and the differences to previous Paralympic experiences mm-hmm. but that's what I wanted to know because I haven't been to any others so I didn't know like the scale of the Tokyo Paralympics compared to any other tournament I'd ever been to just blew me away but what was what were the sort of differences in having one that had no fans and a load of testing and whatever and did that affect how it felt for you on court off court just how was your whole experience in in a covid paralympics is basically the five second version of a minute long question <laughs> i mean to actually that short is really hard um but i would say the major difference is the lack of connection with other people like the thing that I like most about the Paralympics is you can see and talk to other athletes like from different sports, from different countries, like the social aspect. Uh, I really miss that. Like in the dining halls, you were kind of like cubicled up and you don't really have that interaction with it, with each other. And that was like the most of the time, the moments that you were able to like sit next to the swimmers of uh, also Team Netherlands and like, hey, how are you doing? Or um that aspect is what i really missed uh of course no fans in the stands 
Sure. No yeah. roaring Brazilians in the crowds or <laughs> no Dutch fans like just wearing, wearing crazy orange shit <laughs> and cheer us on. The Dutch fans are the Dutch fans are kind of infamous at this point. There seems to be it's mostly just Ari's family as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're awesome. Like uh most of when their family able to travel, they come. Or uh I have a couple of friends, they always come to tournaments. Um yeah. Yeah, not to have them there is quite sad. Sure. Like my adoption family of all my teammates, that they just adopt me because I have no family coming to tournaments. Oh. <laughs> like, okay, no Papa Fisher in the stands. Oh, that is one of the like, that, that is one of the like the cool things I got to experience kind of um, Poland and the Europeans in 2019. I had been to the Worlds the year before playing, and then I was not playing in 2019. But my family had booked tickets to go and watch it, so we were just like, "Yeah, let's go anyway." So I booked a ticket and was just part of the like traveling GB um, <laughs> fan group. So it was just me and the Warburtons and the Bateses, and I don't remember who else. There was a handful of other people there, but it was so much fun. Like, do you ever like? Do you ever look out at people in a crowd in a game and be like, "Yeah, playing's fun," but they're having such a better yeah. time <laughs> yeah like third quarter you're like i've drank a liter and a half of water that guy's three beers deep who's winning here <laughs> wow <laughs> no the, the, yeah. the disclaimer is i don't actually think that when i'm in the middle of a basket uh-huh. i almost believe you <laughs> <laughs> i don't think about anything when i'm on a basketball court so like yeah, i'm trying not to because i when i don't think i play my best there you yeah, go. In my personal bubble. bubble. <laughs> so, in um, you've obviously touched on there some of the differences, I guess, lifestyle-wise during the tournament. But Tokyo was obviously the big one for you guys because as long as you've been around and been relevant, um, the one thing that had evaded you up to that point was the Paralympic gold because you got. Correct me if I'm wrong here. You got bronze in Rio. And I think you guys got fifth in London. Is that right? Browns. Browns in London. Okay. Yeah. Didn't do my Come research. Come on. Do your research, man. <laughs> However, I did do my research because I watched your guys' um, semifinal against Germany last night. And that was a much closer game than I remember. But there was a real moment of you guys winning that game in kind of the closing seconds. And the the reaction from kind of the squad and the coaches was very telling as to what making the final meant. Obviously going mm-hmm. to gold was the, the ultimate objective, but even though that was a strange tournament compared to your previous experiences was the, I imagine the moments of kind of making the final and then ultimately winning the final. It doesn't dampen that at all. Even if there was nobody in the stands, I imagine that was still everything you, you hoped it would be. I mean, I knew that everybody was that was supposed to be in the stands for us were on the live stream. Um, they were still watching our game, just not in the gym. And yeah, we just celebrated with a team. Like we really celebrated as a team. And I think that's really heartwarming. And still, when I think about after the semifinal, after the final, just it's so impressive. Like. That's the best feeling you can have. Yeah, sure. Yeah. If you, how would you explain the feeling? Because obviously, tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people on earth ever win a gold medal in any sport, let alone kind of a, a relatively niche sport like our one. But for anyone who hasn't done it, which is most of us, how would you try and explain the feeling of getting the Paralympic gold medal? Well, it's, uh, when we won it, like we won the game, it was just all the adrenaline coming out of every pore of your body. Like you could almost feel the electricity coming out of your hands kind of feeling. Um, the moment we were waiting uh, in the back uh, before the medal ceremony, there was at some point like pure serenity. Like you train, I trained 10 years pretty much sure. full time. For that one medal and if you think about it you give all your life for like a piece of metal that's what it is like it's just a metal yeah. well, you, you put it like everything that, it in your life good. to win that and it's yeah. like and you succeed it was just calmness like we bloody did it and 
yeah we've done it it is yeah. a strange thing that it is just a piece of metal like I had a similar thing with the bronze that I was like ah this didn't exist to me like three days ago and now I would fight someone if they tried to take it off me. Yep. <laughs> like there's a weird thing of like the amount of personal meaning that goes into 500 grams of metal like it is like two weeks afterwards i still had to check like is it still my gold medal like yeah it's not a dream i still have it on my nightstand so so you didn't do the uh you didn't do the jorge sanchez of wearing it for a month solidly to make sure no (laughs) no i mean i pretty much when i knew i was going to talk to media or i had to go somewhere for a sponsor i had it with me yeah. So I had it with me in Hanover. Now I have it with me in the Netherlands. So when I travel back and forth, I do take it with me. Sure. But it's not like, I'm in a supermarket. I have my gold medal. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be like, cash or card, gold. <laughs> like, no. I think that's the thing. If I you mean, I, a- I did go out at some point when we were allowed to. I was like, I want gold. Get me a beer. Well, you, can, you can do that definitely once. Yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I, think, I think if you go through the whole thing of, of winning one of those as you say there's 10 years of meaning in that medal like you're allowed to do whatever you want with it like same way i'll clown anyone on either side of the the men's or the women's game for having a medal out for however long but yeah i don't know what i'd do if i had one of those that was gold so well i don't know you're allowed to do whatever you want with it i guess you rocked up you rocked up to your own wedding with the bronze one just so you had had the most bling (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, our, our wedding photographer was like, hey, could you bring the medal? I think it would make a good photo. And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was like, do you want to do that? And I was like, I really don't want to do it. And he basically was like, oh, please, I think it would be really cool. And I was like, I'll do it for you. I don't like I, I don't... Not, not use your death picture. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I got I got married two weeks after we came back from Tokyo. And I was like, it, this has been about me going to Tokyo for enough. Like I don't want my wedding day to be that as well. But yeah, man, no, that that's that's amazing. I have a very just to change change sort of direction slightly. A bit of a it's as much of an X and O's question as we're gonna get. Like you as you guys as the Netherlands women's wheelchair basketball team obviously have a very specific way that you guys like to play. You've got a lot of set plays that are basically um, dribble the ball quite high up up above the three-point line, run some crosses, you get an elbow mismatch, and then you go play defense. Like There's a lot more intricacy to it than that, but it always ends up with you on a mismatch and two points. But my question is, as you get further and further into the knockout stages in Tokyo and you're playing better and better teams, how much do you guys game plan and kind of adapt what you do to play other teams versus hey this is what we play this is how we do things and this is what's going to bring us success like where's the balance there between your guys's personal identity as a basketball team versus actually being pragmatic and flexible i mean we have one two three four five i think six set plays Right. Um, you don't have to give those away in case. <laughs> no, I mean, everybody knows our set plays, like the <laughs> opponents that we play. So we don't yeah. care because we practice our set plays against each other who also know the set plays. So, yeah, yeah I think your thing on the set plays. On offense, is just like read the defense, what set plays is best, and play that set play. Right. Sure. Or just run like two man games, whatever. I think the analysis is actually mainly based on defense, like how to take away their offensive strength, because we win our game mainly by defense. Mm-hmm. We know we're going to score a basket at some point, so we just make them score less than us. Yeah. That's when it doesn't win. work out, like the <laughs> prelims, <laughs> China. But <laughs> yeah, when you guys got into that, uh, the final matchup with China, I was like, this game might be like 8 6. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was horrendous. But we also knew with the prelims, we didn't score for the entire quarter. We never got to play as bad as back then. We also showed it like after that game, we played, I don't even know who we played afterwards. What's the third game? Yeah, you. I don't remember, but I do remember. We won. Yeah, had a revenge game. Yeah, you figured it out. And you can only scheme so much for like, hey, we didn't make shots. Like you can't. 
you can't write hey make shots on a clipboard <laughs> yeah exactly like, like stop trying or no yeah. Ball. yeah 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 um, we, we gave it our all we just didn't shoot the ball in which quite essential in our sport so yeah it's a make or miss thing at some point yeah. as much as we have built an entire thing around us talking about the intricacies of what you're trying to do and trying not to do in the game of wheelchair basketball it's then yeah. do you make shots or not i think yeah, i mean that's why most of the set plays is like cross 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 i end up either mismatch or layup because it works and why <laughs> you know stop doing what works yeah do you in terms of those set plays i won't ask you to give away any trade secrets but where where is the kind of inspiration from those taken because you guys as a team don't really play similar to i think really any other teams be it men or women the closest comparison i can think of is the kind of brad ness justin everson australian men's team um in terms of everybody else plays kind of ball behind the screen two-man pick and roll and you guys very much don't rely on that. You rely on, like you say, mismatches, uh, off-ball cuts and all that kind of stuff with yourself mm-hmm. and Bo. So where does the, whose idea was that style of play really? And where do the, where do the set plays come from? Uh, the set plays also started in 2012. Right. So it's, it's just like an evolvement, just trying stuff out at practice. Like, hey, this pick works, like the cross pick on the top of the key. We really love that one because it gives so much space everywhere. Sure. It's not really a trade secret because it's true. <laughs> well, that, like GP also a, runs it. <laughs> that's an so, old um that's an old Dutch classic anyway, isn't it? Because I yeah. think Bandolin used to run that in his playing days and Robin and Mustafa used to run that between the two of them on the yeah. men's side a lot. Yeah, you're, you're we call guys... it offense one for the reason because it's the best <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at like I know it's slightly different than the wheelchair game isn't as dependent on like static spaced out shooters, but like so much of the NBA now, I don't know if you watch much running game basketball is high pick and rolls and three shooters. Like there's no secret that people have figured out the geometry of that. Yeah. Just create a triangle. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Some Illuminati stuff going on there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. So I, yeah, I feel like I dragged us into the, into the the specifics and i don't know some people have said they're here for the specifics but people might actually just want to get to know you a bit more so shall we step cross back picks for the win that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> pardon cross picks for the win yeah, yeah man get that on a t-shirt <laughs> Mark's just trying to subliminally push merch only available by bench unit <laughs> powered by magiska <laughs> We'll claim we invented the idea and sold it to you and it we're the the geniuses behind the dutch dynasty um, so I guess the kind of post the post Tokyo stuff we've had essentially the same question come in twice which from once from Mendel and once from Tom Smith who wants to know how do you keep yourself motivated after you've kind of you guys uh, like we said in the intro triple crown champions and you've conquered the world effectively so what is it that keeps you going either individually or as a team well, never have been a team that won five major tournaments in a row, which we did. So Euros, World Euros, Paralympics, Euros. Uh, what's cooler than do it again? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to win another Paralympic gold, possible Worlds coming okay. up soon. So, so your motivation is to keep the keep the win streak alive as long as you possibly can again. Yeah, till I, uh, not till I fall apart because I do have a set date. Like 2028 is going to be my last games. Right. Last okay. okay. Anyway, no matter no matter how good my body still is. And why is why is that? Can we ask? Well, it's more like self perseverance because I see two fellow athletes that kind of keep on going and they kind of mess up like shoulders, backs, yeah. elbows, you know, issues right. yeah, with your body, and. I'm already, I mean, already, I'm just 30 and I already have some issues here and there. Like I'm a center, so my, I have to be careful of my lower back because we yeah. do everything from there. So I just want to make sure my body keeps intact 
after I quit basketball. Yeah, you want to sort of set yourself up for the next chapter afterwards, which is not something that, like, it's something that people are more and more aware of. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to stop doing this at one point. I I mean, I already started working a little bit to get some experience there. So I think that's important. Oh, cool. Well, that was one of the questions we had um, about from someone I don't remember who it might have been Amy Conroy again. What are your post-playing plans, alliteration? So (laughs) I graduated with a Bachelor of Business Administration with a focus in marketing in the U.S. And currently I'm working for the Ben Foundation in the Netherlands to kind of help raise awareness about uh, disabled sports and how much there's possible being a person in a wheelchair awesome so yeah cool working on that giving wheelchair basketball clinics talking to schools talking to businesses drag them into a chair to experience wheelchair basketball like how cool it actually is to be in a wheelchair pretty much (laughs) and then kick their asses playing one to 20 and still win (laughs) (laughs) so you you see yourself as kind of the an am- ambassador for the sport going forward, I guess. Does anything like coaching, does that appeal to you? Or do you think, are you cut out for that? Or is that not your kind of thing? Um, I think coaching-wise, I'm better one-on-one and not really on a team style, but definitely behind the scenes. Like, uh, currently, I'm working on the court, like showing with being myself like just go beast mode on the core like this sport is awesome look what we can do with a ball in a chair and off the court already kind of working on it but not really supporting like one team maybe management or something i think is really cool cool okay dragging sponsors into the (laughs) into the field of vision no right I think that's everything on our rundown. So shall we hit questions at this point? Yes, I believe we should. Um, Yeah, so once again, everyone listening, thanks so much for engaging with us and sending in a load of questions. I just need to get myself onto the right Instagram. I'm vamping right now. Can you tell? I'll go with the first one. So this is from a new friend of ours in Yelma Van Brunschot, who would like to know, what does Mariska think of Mendel? I think he is awesome. I guess a person. I used to play together with him back in the Netherlands. That's the coming 80s. up in one of our next questions, actually. Oh, spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> his hair is amazing. I'm jealous of his hair. I think that's we should be. Uh, he really surprised me at Euros. Like he played fantastic. Oh, like, you were surprised. Okay. I mean, not surprised. No, no, they, those guys took a big seen step. games at the, in the Spanish league, but to actually able to like see games every single day of the men's team, I was like, damn, and go Mendel. You you will have been at the um, the pre-Tokyo Dutch bubble, right? The women's team yeah. was there. Yeah. Mendel was officially the best player in the world for, I think, two or three days solidly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey, what do you think? And we've, we've asked... We've asked Mendel this as well, but what do you think changed for those guys taking a step up, like just from the outside? Uh, I think, especially for like Mendel, um, he went full, he went pro, like he plays full time. And when you practice something every day, you just get better at being engulfed in a good professional environment will help every single player. And I think, like Yelmer, Ari, Mendel, all the guys that just took full advantage of the possibilities they had at their club. Sure. Cool. Okay, cool. And speaking of Mendel, the next question he sent in was, how much fun was it to play with 13-year-old Mendel? (laughs) Very fun. Uh, He was always like really grown up and already huge when he was super young. So... I never believed he was as young as he said he was (laughs) because he already acted like an (laughs) 18-year-old. Yeah, I would say he was already very mature for his age. Also with playing, like seeing the ball, already had like crazy ball handles and like the crazy spins. Did he he have his beard when he was 13? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) He does look like the sort of person that kind of was able to grow a beard and go, you know, the first guy in every school year that was able to grow a beard that everyone's like, Oh, that's so cool. Like, <laughs> I would not be surprised to be honest. 
Okay, uh, next question from Ayaka. Do you keep all your puzzles and do them again after a while? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like... I have a load crap of puzzles in my apartment. It's almost embarrassing, but awesomely embarrassing. How, how, many, of you, how many of them have you done while you've been um, stuck at home with your COVID symptoms and you've not been able to train? Uh, I think my count is up to seven. That's not right bad. That's not too bad. It's also kind of hard because I have to sit at the table and it takes energy. It's pathetic, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I make like big ass puzzles, like thousand, two thousand, five thousand pieces. So wow. Or three D puzzles; those are fun as well. Oh, yeah. okay. Is that not yeah. just like IKEA furniture? <laughs> like, yeah, but with pictures, it's different. <laughs> ah, okay, cool. Yeah, they're just like IKEA furniture, except for you can't sit on them or put things in them. <laughs> yeah, I can build a train or the Eiffel Tower or yeah. Hogwarts. That's that's arguably more. Winterfell. Or a little tiny boat in a bottle. I do have a big steamboat. Oh, okay. You sound far too good at puzzles <laughs> it, any of your puzzles that you're doing how long would it take me or james to complete any of them mark has um, to for context i would say a few months i dare you <laughs> like my yeah, to be fair. puzzle will probably take you a few months to be fair by the time we emailed and by the time we sorry mailed pieces back and forward between bilbao and sheffield <laughs> the amount of times they'd break in transit it wouldn't be worth it Imagine getting that, just a single envelope being like, where do you think this bit goes? And it's just one piece of... <laughs> no I um, think it can be like a bench unit challenge. Yeah. Oh, I, I would I'd rather wind the whole thing up than do that. Just but burn it. If we're... Uh, well, I mean, the whole podcast, just burn it to the ground. Just wind the whole thing up. If we're digging into merch ideas, we'll, um, we'll knock up a bench unit's puzzle prototype and send it to you. There's a really cool puzzle. It's like rounds. It's the shape of a basketball. I made it during Euros. Oh, really? That's awesome. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, we've just opened up a whole thing that I, I didn't know about you. Um, Tune in next week for our um, newest podcast on our network where we discuss puzzles outside of basketball. Right. Uh, next one from Ayaka has asked, who would you like to play with uh, or who would you have as a teammate, someone who you haven't played with already? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, the legendary Terry Bywater is pretty cool. Illunion, if you're listening, there's a contract <laughs> here somewhere. <laughs> um, I actually played or at least trained with really awesome people. Like uh, I played, uh, trained together with Garcia already, Dirk Pasiwan, Joe Beswick, yeah. big names. Uh, at Whitewater, I played with amazing names already who were some of your whitewater teammates i mean i played together uh, i trained together with the men's team so i trained together with jake williams uh op was there too oh yeah i would say some major names wow yeah yeah is there, i guess this is the flip side christina swap i trained together with all right cool uh flip side to this question is there anyone that you that you know that you me. wouldn't like to play with no i'm joking um, i would say <laughs> james <laughs> no yeah i'm i'm not very good that's fine <laughs> um jk jk I, I, i'll get you under the basket but you don't need <laughs> um is there anyone who you have trained with before or trained with regularly who you think the world doesn't know about yet be it men's game or women's game I would say the person that deserves more recognition is Ilse. Sure. Uh, I mean, she's also starting five, but she's not really, you know, uh, exclaimed in the media, but she is an amazing player. I think she deserves more attention. Okay, that's entirely fair. I yeah. agree with you on that yeah. one. Yeah. Um, and then I think, oh, we've got a couple more here. Excuse me. Um, yes. So Tom Smith has asked, are you looking forward to a summer without basketball? I mean, first I was, but he's already now have six weeks of holiday <laughs> or no training time. I'm not looking forward to it. 
Sure. Yeah, that you'll be. I imagine your individual sessions, if you're back to it over summer, will be like making up for lost time. We'll have another rocky montage on our hands. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm looking to like a bicycle holiday. I have my hand cycle. I have a little like thing I can attach to the back of my hand cycle. I put it. I can put a tent in it or something. Maybe we'll do a little tour. We we have very different ideas of holidays. <laughs> you seem way too able-bodied to need a hand cycle in my mind, but I guess you're not. Um, I'm actually not that uh, yeah. good in walking or biking. So yeah. uh, we have a question from Dylan Cumming. Shout out Dylan, who said, "Where's the best place to visit in the Netherlands that most tourists wouldn't know about?" It depends what you like. Like where I live right now, it's kind of in the woods. So if you like nature, that's a really beautiful place. It's next to Arnhem. Cool. Okay. But there you go. Yeah, pretty much like Amsterdam. It's quite cool, but super touristy. But... Yeah. Go to cat bike, visit Ari's family. You know? yeah. <laughs> I mean, I come from Den Helder. It's a small town all the way up north. I okay. think it's beautiful. But when I tell people here, it's like, you come from Den Helder, it's such an ugly place. But we have like dunes and we've got the sea. Yeah, I like it there too. But it kind of depends on your interest. I think the only place I've ever been in the Netherlands is to Papendal. And it was the usual like competition thing of arrive at the hotel, bus to the tournament, bus home, bus to the tournament, bus home. And it kind of looked like everywhere else apart from the fact that everyone was on bikes. So... <laughs> I mean, we do a lot for our bikes. Like I own three of them, so, and a scooter and a car. You not lacking for modes of transport. You must never get any pushing done if you're you got so many cars and bikes lying around. We have good bicycle roads. I can do my pushing on. So, um, and I think last question on this one from Matt Wild has asked. Which individual players do you enjoy going up against, uh, both internationally and at club level? Ooh, at club level, I would say daily practice with like Alexander Buder, major talent. Um, he's just fun to play against. We just have laughs and giggles and kick each other's asses pretty much. Uh, internationally, I would say Katie Dunderdo, if I don't slaughter her name. Uh, like uh, Aaron Jews, uh, Hella Freeman, always fun. Awesome. Cool. I think that wraps us then. Um, just does. check we've not missed any questions. Oh, oh, last one we missed one from Mendel. Do you have any teams hey, you would really like to play for? I think you've given it away saying you want to play with Terry because he's not coming to you. You've got to go to him. <laughs> uh, I like, I'm always open to new experiences. So, Right now, I think for uh, next season, I want to stay still in Hanover yeah. because also the way they support me now with the sickness and last year with kind of canceling or freezing my contract, they're yeah. really supportive of me and they try to help me out as much I can, as I can. Cool. So I want to help them too. Sure. Uh, so so they... yeah, I'm pretty set. I didn't negotiate my contract at all for next season, but I mindset is for now like i want to play there but for the seasons afterwards i'm like sure so you're there until you find another team that wears orange is that the plan yeah pretty much (laughs) albacete if you're listening i mean the blanket i'm now kind of on (laughs) wicked right wow okay that's everything from us uh Mariska, thanks so much for joining us. And obviously we really look forward to seeing you get back on court and we hope your recovery goes as well as can be hoped at this point. We'll do my best. Cool. Uh, Yeah, all the best. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, Catch you next time. Peace out. Cheers.